1: Bye. Bye. Well, hello, and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. I know you guys may or may not have noticed a bit of a trend in some of the content that we are pushing out. It's pretty heavy on the Shakespeare, and if you don't already know, it's because we have our first ever Shakespeare Teacher Festival coming up very, very soon. If you're listening to this in real time, it is very soon, uh, April 5th through 10th, 2021, free teacher PD for those of you who teach Shakespeare, want to teach Shakespeare, who think about maybe one day teaching Shakespeare or who just generally like nerd out on Shakespeare the way that (laughs) Amanda and I do, because we get pretty intense and it's pretty fun, but it is five days of free content covering all sorts of different avenues about Shakespeare. If you have not already registered, please do so for free. Go to brave Shakespeare to join us. And today friends, we are actually going to dive into a little bit more Shakespeare because why not? We are talking about teaching Shakespeare using essential questions. Um, we have some great tips for you. And then we actually just have some of the most frequently taught plays that we Know of that we have taught that you all have asked us about, and the essential questions that we have or plan to use for those plays, Amanda hello, she's our resident essential question queen. I
0: don't know if you guys know this, but uh, i that's quite the title i'm I'm pretty yeah. honored to have that um so I guess with kind of with that caveat, I, I would say really quick about you know the festival and our episode today. I've been getting a couple questions now that we've posted that this festival's coming up um people wondering who this is for. Uh, If you are a pre-service teacher, this is definitely for you. Oh, for sure. uh, If you are a veteran, kind of like that's never found your groove or a veteran who nerds out hardcore on Shakespeare this is for you. You guys, we made this for the whole range of Shakespeare teacher, the novice to the expert, because I think what happens in our everyday life is that we get very bogged down by what's new. And Shakespeare has pretty much always been what's old. And so it's a really kind of a a refresh into bringing our Shakespeare conversations into um, some of the newer and better teaching practices that we know of, namely Essential question t- based teaching. So, uh, we're going to get into it today. We've got six plays, seven plays we're going to go through with you today. One, two,
1: three, four, five, six, seven. I had to count because I couldn't just glance.
0: <laughs> just glance at that and count up to seven. You guys, it's a tiring life. <laughs> but you know what? So we're going to try to make that tiring life a little bit easier for you because essential based question teaching for Shakespeare is the same as what we've been teaching you all along in this podcast. If you guys are members of curriculum rehab, like, you know, the drill, these EQs are meant to keep things focused, simple, sane, but also rigorous, creative and wide reaching. It sounds impossible yeah so and
1: you know what though after the intro we're going to explain to you a little bit more of what we're talking yep. about because it really it really can be that simple so let's, let's go. cue the music Okay, so as we said in our intro, curriculum rehab—our course about basically taking your curriculum, your like year-long curriculum, rehabbing it so that you've got straight line, streamlined—is what I'm actually trying to say. um, Curriculum map for the entire year that is based in inquiry, that is driven in questions. Just saying the same thing twice. And that puts a lot of the onus for learning on students while at the same time making things simpler for the teacher so that we can focus on what students need, et cetera, et cetera. Many of you have heard this drill from us quite a few times, but because we are talking about Shakespeare and like Amanda said, because we are talking about something that is quite frankly old, not normally our shtick to talk about old, dead, white, male, authors in a way that's like, teach them, right? Like we're normally like, maybe you could let that one go. But we really do believe that Shakespeare is something that can be brought in because it can be infused with so much more. And the way that we look at Shakespeare without getting completely overwhelmed, like Amanda said, bogged down by the day-to-day and just even like when you've been teaching for a minute, like I'm in my 14th year of teaching, I have taught Romeo and Juliet more times than I can, I mean, I've, nope, more than I can count, at least a dozen And um, I love it. I love it for many reasons, but it feels stale after a little bit. And I start to wonder to myself, am I oversimplifying it? Am I making it too complicated? And and there's a reason that these plays endure and have endured for so long. And and they still can and do apply to our contemporary students. And the way to make all those connections come together in this wonderful little recipe of goodness is through inquiry and using essential questions. So that is really what we're going to dig into today.
0: And I, and one of the things we talk about in Curriculum Rehab, you know, in, in terms of building essential essential question-based units is that it really takes a question. Is The job of a question is to bring together the text, it's to bring together the skills and whatever themes are present in that unit. And so we want to get you down to, some different angles. And, and I really think what an essential question does for a Shakespeare unit is it alleviates the stress of feeling like you have to teach all the things. Um, I believe I talked about it in our Q&A episode. So that was episode 45. Um, we talked a little bit about methodology and philosophy. So please go back and re-listen to that episode or listen to it for the first time if you haven't already. Um, but one of the distracting factors about Shakespeare is it feels like there's so much to go over? You feel kind of bogged down at the beginning that there's context, there's history, there's language, there's all these things. And yes, there are all of those things. But if you can manage to get you know the most important pieces of that taken care of, and even better, a well vertically aligned Shakespeare agenda in your department.
1: Whew, that's what, a dream, <laughs> right? What you what
0: you're left with though is a play, and plays are actually one of my favorite things to teach in a unit because they're neatly chunked out. They're organized. They're manageable, small pieces. They're not the weight of an entire novel. And yes, Shakespeare's language is tough, but it almost always comes with a great film or a great production um, that kids can watch and be part of. So don't shy away. If you're a new person, a nervous, uh, we really think these essential questions are going to help you draw out those themes and focus on a skill and get kids asking more questions about topical things and thematic elements rather than just getting worried about translation and reading. We're going to get past that.
1: Well, that and looking at something that is quite frankly, pretty antiquated, right? Like it's, it's Shakespeare. We're talking Renaissance here, but a lot of the questions that we get and the question that I used to ask was, how do I make this relatable to my students? essential questions, inquiry, Done. like like just looking at characters from a human level. All of these things are what make Shakespeare's plays, any text, relatable to humans because you're looking at the human experience. So here are the plays that we are going to go over. We're going to look at Julius Caesar, Hamlet, the Scottish play, Othello, Midsummer, Taming, Romeo and Juliet. Is everybody ready? I'm going to give you guys a moment. I guess you could just pause us, but I'm still going to give you a moment as I vamp for time so that you can go refresh your tea or coffee. You can get your notebook because uh, we are going to give you essential questions that we hope you use and that you tweak and you make work for you. Please don't feel like you have to ask us permission to use these questions. Just use them. That's why we're doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We we think this is going to change everything. So I'm ready to jump in. <laughs> I'm ready to jump in with Caesar as Get long it, as you my guys are. are. We ready? Get it done, Julie. Yes. To Brute. Okay, I'm done. Okay. So we're gonna try to do these relatively fast. But the first one I have to start with a caveat because Caesar, I think, is my most like I can be the most authentically vulnerable with you in Caesar because that was the first play I ever had to teach as a new teacher. So. I I think you may have heard about it in another episode. I think we did over the summer, but um, I walked into Caesar onto a team that was study guide packets. That was the unit. It was here is the play. We're going to do a bunch of random stuff about. I am a pentameter and we're going to assign the kids to read act one, scene one, act one, scene two, study guide question, study guide question. And that was the plan for the entire freaking unit. Okay. So fast forward to when it actually started I ended up spending probably three out of that seven-week unit out on jury duty, um, trying to send sub plans to to a different sub every night because I didn't know how long I was going to be on jury duty. It was a mess. The kids were not engaged. The kids were just hating life all around. And so I say this because I've seen the dark side and I've brought things to a much happier place. So (laughs) this is circa, when did I start teaching? 2000. Oh my God. Eight. 2008, 2009 was my first school year. (laughs) That's I haven't thought about that number in a long time. Um, And so by around 2011 is when I started to really kind of get the hang of things. And here's what happened. One, my department started talking about essential questions. But two, I don't know if you remember, maybe if you're paying attention to current events, this was the time of the Arab Spring. Yep. and there was a whole lot of turmoil in Libya, in Egypt. There's a lot going on, um, and governments were being criticized heavily by their people. Right, there was a push for more democratic ideals, more democratic um, proceedings in these countries. And I, you can learn more about it if you read Barack Obama's book, Promised Land. Um, there's like a whole section on it. It's really interesting. But I had no, I had no idea about that at the time, and I thought. Julius Caesar is not a play, a, a Shakespeare play. Julius Caesar is a play about government. It's a, it's a play about who gets to make decisions. It's a play about leadership. And so once I started to really understand what the play was about as a person, right? As a teacher reading the play and knowing the play, when I knew that and could really sink my teeth into the leadership and the manipulation of the people around that central leader, That's what I knew I wanted my kids to focus on. And so the essential question that we worked with in that, this was sophomore English two. um, It was a combination class of kids from all over the map. Um, We dealt with the question, uh, what does it take to be a great leader? Simple. So So simple. So simple. That was our driving focus. And every scene, we took that question to the leaders of that moment. So we looked at Brutus. We looked at Caesar. We asked, uh, we actually did a simulation in Brutus's orchard. Um, that's the moment when kind of everyone's deciding that this conspiracy is going to go down. We actually took that and had our own roundtable and simulated that discussion about Hosni Mubarak. Should we remove him? From office because he'd been he's been Egypt's president for 30 years at the time and so we kind of did a little bit of side research about the Arab Spring and what was going on and we came to the table in this simulation and actually had that conversation about leadership while Brutus is having the same conversation with Cassius and all these other guys about what to do about Caesar because the question is well what to do about Caesar they don't entertain very many options other than assassination right Um, (laughs) it's like ignore it or kill him I mean, right. that's like and, all they got. Yeah. And, well, and the kids figure that out on their own. Like they were like, Oh, because when we talked about hosting bark, I'm like, well, what, what can we do? Can we have a side convo with him? Can we do some <laughs> negotiation? Can we do some diplomatic, um, you know, negotiation types of things? And so like, we had all these options. And then I said, well, let's read this scene from Brutus's orchard. What do we see as similar? What do we see as different? So as essential questions, guys are going to be able to help you put things side by side. And when Shakespeare gets hard, I think it helps kids to see it in another way. And again, this is why Shakespeare's so enduring and amazing is that his concepts, his controversies are so universal. There are plenty of ways we can pair. It's not not, uh, the Arab Spring right now, but we can definitely talk about leadership, elections, democracy. Uh, uh, Yeah, right now is good too. Government, Yeah. Uh, Well, and the other thing too, like I like the way that you're posing
1: this and like pairing it with real life, current events and world events is that we also often, I mean, Romeo and Juliet is going to be something that we talk about at the very end here, but we try to make the personal connections and not all of our kids are going to connect with weepy Juliet, which by the way, I love Juliet. Don't get me wrong. And kind of creepy Romeo. I I have an affinity for just Leonardo DiCaprio, but I'll take it as Romeo. But, you know, and so we try to make them like foster these connections, character to person, right? Self text to self. My God, what am I trying to say? <laughs> but really, the text to world connections are yeah. rich in these works. And so that's something I think that's really important to think about. And I just love, once again, the simplicity of your essential question. We say it again, just because I liked it. Uh,
0: yes. So the question we use is, what does it take to be a great leader? Um and it not was just nice. a leader, but a
1: great leader. And like, look at all the like nuance that you can pick apart with that. Like what it's a it definition a question. Yes. Yeah.
0: And, 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 and crafting that definition as yes. we go is exactly the goal of the unit. And so again, like kind of like exactly like you're saying, Marie, kids are going to walk away with something, even if they're not like buddies with Brutus.
1: Well, and they're not all going to go into leadership roles in their life, but they are all going to m- come in contact in one way or another with leaders and be citizens and have exactly. decisions to make, right? Like, and, and have a job and have a boss. And, uh, you know, we hope, we hope all of our kids have a job at some point in time.
0: Yeah. And, and beso- so, so it, it, it kind of gave us that place where we could step away from the language and just deal with the situation at hand mm-hmm. and say, okay, in this scene, is this character making a good decision is, in terms of being a great leader? Is this a, Is this a great leader's type of decision-making? Is this the you know, when Caesar goes off on this tangent about being, you know, a lion born, you know, uh, what does he yep. say? The litter born twice in one day. And now I'm like losing. It. It's been so long. But like this cocky arrogance, like, is that a characteristic of a great leader? And the kids even there are like, well, sometimes you got to be a little cocky, you know, and the kids love to talk You're about like, well, that. I want my surgeons to be cocky. I don't know if I want. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. But, but like, <laughs> if you want to talk about engagement, I think we try so hard, Marie, and I know we got to move on to another play, but we, okay. we, we try so hard to throw cute things into our lessons. We, we marry Romeo and Juliet, which is awesome. And we do, uh, you know, all kinds of like cute things. We try, we think that that's engagement, but I'm telling you right now, if you have a solid essential question, genuine inquiry engagement is going to happen in conversations when you tell kids, well, is that the kind of leader you want?
1: Well and then setting up Romeo and Juliet's wedding is so much more impactful. It's not just like an extra fun thing, it's an impactful, engaging and rigorous, potentially rigorous yep. moment that you yep. can be having that care, that having, having that carries through. Yep. Um okay, so I'm going to talk through a unit that I do on Hamlet and Macbeth. I combine the two <laughs> when I teach senior lit. Um And people always give me the look that you guys can't see listeners, but Amanda just gave me because we record through Zoom, which is like eyes kind of wide, eyebrows move. And then it's like a knowing head shake. Like, all right, let's hear it.
0: Go ahead, Marie. Even though she's heard
1: the spiel so many times. (laughs) So fun facts about me. I have a master's degree in theater with like an emphasis in Shakespeare studies. So I get a little intense, um, but that's also what made me know, like I can figure this out, how to push two of Shakespeare's most complex plays (laughs) into one unit and get it all done in a matter of three or four weeks on a quarter system. And anybody can do this. Anybody who wants to try this can do it. It is not impossible. Um, Hamlet and Macbeth. I put the two together and it's within the context of looking throughout a whole entire quarter or like a semester class at villains and kind of the evils of the world. And then we like the next half. We the theme is like heroes. Right. So we kind of go dark, than light, whatever. And the essential question that I use is are monsters born or made? It's short. It's to it. the point, it's nothing too crazy, it's simple like Amanda's leader question, but it's got so much to it. It has some definition, but it really is a polarizing. They're either born or made. It's a nature versus nurture question. Yep. And we go through we start with Hamlet. Um and the way that I teach Hamlet is really a psychological study. So, I, we kind of take it not is Hamlet the monster, but like, who is the monster? Who are the monsters in this play? And how are they, how do they come about? And so we pick apart Claudius, we pick apart Gertrude, we pick apart Ophelia. She is often looked at as just a victim and don't get me wrong. She absolutely is. But homegirl has it. Like she's got a part to play there a little bit. She's got some decisions, um, and Hamlet, obviously, and we look a lot at his psyche and a lot at his surroundings and what happens there. And they the supplemental texts that we bring in are all about grief. They're all about, uh, anger. I mean, they're all about a lot of psychological things because Hamlet is at an age where in young men and young males, especially uh, mental illness starts to actually surface in their behaviors. And so we look at all of this good stuff, looking at Hamlet that then leads us into Macbeth where we don't have a young man as our title character. We've got an older established gentleman who is like doing well in his career and he's on the rise. Right. And yet who is the, who are the monsters here? Is Macbeth the monster is Lady M the monster. Right. And, and so we start to pick all of that good stuff apart. And are these people who we deem monsters, monsters because they were born that way or because they were made that way by their surroundings by their nature i mean by their nurture etc cetera, etc cetera. it's it's pretty cool i like i said i teach this with 12th grade and so there is something to the maturity of a 17 and 18 year old that Absolutely. um yeah. i like I, I could never get through two shakespeare plays with ninth grade because of the squirreliness and because i don't teach ninth grade <laughs> if i don't have to um because of the squirreliness but they they, they can do these. And when, when you tell a group of teenagers, well, last time I did, this was in the year 2020, we're going to read two Shakespeare plays. And you guys are actually, this is going to be your favorite part of the year. The look of cynicism <laughs> on their faces was like, uh-huh. And then what do you know at the end exit survey, you know, what is your most memorable moment? And it was like, the Hamlet murder mystery party. Cause that's how we open up the whole entire unit is we sit down after having some like stations. These are things by the way, that I will talk through in the Shakespeare festival. So if you already signed up, get excited. And if you have not yet registered for the Shakespeare teacher Thes- festival, just pause us and then take care of it and then come back. Um, but we do a whole murder mystery party. So it's that same sort of thing that we were just talking about with like, you know, marrying Romeo and Juliet and like having that moment. A murder mystery party could be a really throwaway situation, but it actually instead sets up the entire unit because we talk about everybody's invo- invited to Elsinore Castle and we're going to be having a ball. And in the middle of the ball, King Hamlet is found dead. And because, you know, because he was poisoned in his ear, the serpent bit him, blah, 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 out in the orchard because in the middle of the party, he decided to go just take a nap under a tree. Uh, so I take some liberties, obviously, <laughs> but students use the text to figure out a case of who done it, because you know that in act one, it's like scene one, <laughs> scene two, uh, we find out who done it. And so it's, it's a pretty cool way to open it. Um, but our monster's born or made.
0: I love that. And the the universality of that question, even if you were not going to do Macbeth and Hamlet together, you could do like a YA book. You could do monster and Macbeth paired together. You can pair Shakespeare with something modern and contemporary in that unit. Easy, freaking peasy. No problem. It's also amazing
1: with good old Mary Shelley's Frankenstein like oh so good it's so it's a really good it's one of those really good like semester or quarter long EQs that applies
0: to every individual unit it's pretty fun that's awesome and 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 I think I I have only other EQ that I've seen with Macbeth and I can't tell you maybe I'll put it in the show notes if I can find it but I've heard a couple of cool ones that deal with gender Mm-hmm. Um, that really, I think, hone in on Lady Macbeth. They kind of let Lady Macbeth take the stage in that unit, which is pretty cool too. So I'll look into that. But speaking of monsters and villains, um, I'd like to talk to you guys about Othello. Please do. So Othello again is kind of deals a little bit on that dark side, way more than uh, you know uh, uh, the more uplifting things that we read in English, you know, t- all the time, like, um, Mac- but- like Macbeth, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, Othello for me again was a challenge because I was teaching it to a group of students who were not. This is not an AP class. This is not honors. I was teaching it to students who had uh, English as a second language. I had students who were generally like unmotivated in you know in English, and so I knew that to do Othello, I had to focus. And so what we did with my team is we said, well the skill that we really need to work on is rhetoric and we need to find a play that does that. And ba-doom-ba-doom, ba-doom, all you need to do is think about, well, if Caesar's already being used in another level, what's the other option? It is Othello Iago all day long. And so we wanted our essential question to really be overlapping with the skill of rhetoric that we wanted to work on. And so the question that we, we posed to our students was What happens when the villain wins? Pause. Pause for... Applause. Marie's um, fangirling
1: you right now. I, and <laughs> speaking and speaking in the third person. That's a really good essential question.
0: If you haven't already listened to my interview with Kyle lethridge which, which number <laughs> episode is uh, escapes me, he was my teammate at the time. We came up with that question together. Um, uh, a so big shout out to Kyle. Um, but talk about Juicy. Um, we had a lot of fun unpacking villainy, um, and just really kind of again like universalizing. You know, we looked at everything from uh, Genghis Khan to um, um the dark knight whatever yeah. kind of stuff yeah. was going on um so we had a really cool time there and then we were able to then by the time we got really into the nitty-gritty of the play look at a Inigo speech and say well number one like why is he winning well he's so good at what he's doing and at the end like he absolutely wins he gets away with everything And that happens in real life all the time. Mm -hmm. I had conversations with kids after that play who were like, yeah, like, I think I'm always the good person. I try to do the right thing, but I feel like I'm always, you know, I always finish last or I, I, you know, I don't get the boy or I don't get the girl or I don't get the scholarship or I don't get the whatever, even though I'm doing the right thing. This isn't fair. Why does this guy win. And so we had these like really good personal teenager conversations. Um, And you don't
1: see that coming with Iago. Like you don't, you know, that's one of those things that you don't necessarily see our teenagers making a personal connection (laughs) with Othello or Iago, but the situation that you create there allows them to see how it connects to the real world and to their real, like, you know, I try and try and try, but my math teacher curves every test and I'm never at the top of the curve or like what, or, or the bottom, I don't know. How does that work? <laughs> I don't
0: know. But exactly, well, exactly. And so that's kind of where we found ourselves with that question was, you know, the only thing So we watched the entire play and we would pause when there was a big Iago speech and we would read the speech and then we would keep going. And then we would pause when there was a, big Iago speech. And it took us a long time. It, we weren't reading every page, but we were close reading like two days, like two 50 minute class periods to dig in and pull apart, especially at the beginning. It was, they got better at it as we moved on. Well, and there are a lot of big Iago speeches. There so that's are a lot. lot of pausing. <laughs> yeah. If you just read Iago's speeches in Othello, you will know the exact, <laughs> you'll know the exact story yeah. and how it
1: goes. You know, she's um, dead. You know, all the things. Yeah. Oh,
0: all of the things. And then there's a whole nother racial justice component to that play especially because Iago wins um so there were lots of directions that you know you can take with the group that you have the the level you have you know whatever great level that is um and it's fun because I feel like the kids too are we're kind of swamped with stories of you know at least I think in, in popular media and social media that you know, the good guy's going to get it. Like there's a lot of romantic comedy fans out there who want to just believe things are going to be great. So it's kind of fun to screw those people up a little bit, you know? Well, and also, <laughs> I mean, and on
1: a real world thing too, to like bring in the reality. Cause that is a crushing blow when you realize that nice guys don't always win. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and I'm not saying like, Oh, bring the kids down to earth, but like bring the, no. kids, down,
0: bring the kids down to earth.
1: I'll just say but it with we- a nicer voice.
0: Well, we got it, because the question became then like, well, what what were the mistakes of the people who let him win? And also
1: what can they do about it?
0: And right? Like it doesn't have to be the end. Yes. Yes,
1: it's the end of the story, but it does or it's the end of the play. It doesn't have to be the end of the story. That's what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah. Well, well, right. Cause all of that kind of then then leads into this question about Othello. Othello is driven mad by jealousy. And jealousy is not validated at all. I mean, there's a lot of tricky things Iago does, but like he could have asked a couple of questions or like trusted. Desdemona, <laughs> just Maybe. an inkling. I know. I mean, I know. Little, just little a little bit like um, a teeny little bit. So, yeah. So it kind of leads into all those other conversations again. Like if you guys have never read Othello and you're just hearing us talk about this question right now, you probably are like, Oh, like I could do that with my kids. Yeah. Othello's kind of cool. It is. I mean, it's one of those plays that I think like I've
1: overlooked it in the past. Cause I'm like, eh. I don't know what I'm ready to get into, but like, if you really do dig it, it's same with Julius Caesar. I've been like, eh, yeah. it's just so historical. I'm horrible. Um, I, I but then do...
0: it's when you sink your teeth into those yes. certain speeches that like, that's yes. what you can't, that's what you never forget. And that's why Marie and I both told you guys in the last episode, like stop asking kids to read the entire play. They're not going to remember the most important pieces. If they're reading the whole thing. They're going to hate it. They're well, going to hate it. <laughs> I've said this a million times. I'll say it again.
1: The people who were intended to read Shakespeare were the actors. Yeah. It's, it's an art form that is created for us to see. And yeah.
0: that's my piece on that for the moment. My kids will never forget me trying to reenact <laughs> Mark Antony's dogs of war speech. And like the the blood curdling cries I have of unleash the dogs of war. Like they have probably no clue other than we talked about leadership and there were some dogs, but like, I'm cool with that. There right. There were some dogs. Right. It's going to stick. Oh, that's, that's so funny. Yeah. And there was a handkerchief somewhere in uh, Desdemona's story. I don't know what her deal is. Strawberries, handkerchiefs, you know. Yeah. Oh, and then everyone was suffocated at the end. It's fine. It's cool. Oh, that's fine. She was just
1: killed with her own pillow it's fine everything's fine it's fine
0: really you should just teach anything that kenneth brenna has done you should just let him let him do all the work for you like why are we trying to redo what kenneth brenna has already done i I can tell you one thing it's because his hamlet is four hours long (laughs) oh my god
1: (laughs) so we we take that in pieces it's like three or four hours long. no it's bananas anyways so (laughs) sir patrick stewart on the other hand let's i'm all in he doesn't have quite as much of a... Uh, yeah, but yes. Yes. no, All, I, on, all hands on deck, yes. Captain Picard, hello. Okay, we've gotten a little off track. I'm going to bring this on track to one of Shakespeare's weirdest plays, A Midsummer Night's Dream. Actually, so, okay, I teach sophomores, right? Our sophomore team generally teaches taming at the sophomore level. I have gotten sick of taming. <laughs> and I love A Midsummer. And so... I kind of just swap in Midsummer because nobody else, I mean, talk about vertical alignment. Nobody else at my school teaches Midsummer because it's bananas with so many characters and so many storylines and fairies and like purple dye in a flower and your eyes and blah, 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 blah. Right. But I am into it. Gets me going.
0: Can I make you jealous for a second? Fine. I got to see Midsummer at the Globe on my honeymoon.
1: Oh, that's cute
0: for you. It was, it was pretty incredible. Thanks for that, Amanda. (laughs) It was a bucket list. It was a bucket list item and that's what was playing. It was pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. I've actually never even been to the Globe Theater, but I digress. Uh, Bucket list. I know. Someday, someday so okay so our sophomore curriculum talks about voice and in our first half of the year we talk about we do a whole dystopian thing if you guys have been listening for a minute or if you've I have a few YouTube videos on it like we do a whole dystopian quarter uh, on in the midst of great uncertainty how do I find my voice or how does a person find their voice we make it very personal with me my then in the second quarter our essential question what makes some stand up to injustice and use their voice while others remain silent? I know that you might be thinking, oh, that lends itself perfectly to taming because of yeah. all the like gender inequality and like, uh, what am I trying to say? Money. What's that? Status. No. Inequity. Class, class inequity. All of that yep. stuff. Yes. I just couldn't think of the word class. I'm here. I'm here for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But it works in midsummer too. There are all of of the teeny tiny storylines, the rude mechanicals, you've got bottom at the bottom, right? And you can look at the class hierarchy and you can look at the hierarchy of what goes into a play and the actors and blah, 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 you know, and the um, crew and all of that. And you've kind of got some smaller injustices, but like no less No less big for the characters who experience them, right? You've got the four lovers and their fathers, or and Aegis, and you know, and Hippolyta, who has just been like taken from her from the Amazon. She's been like taken to go and marry the Duke. There's some stuff. You've got, uh, what's her name? Hermia's father. And like all of this fun stuff you've got, wait, did I just say the wrong name? If I'm misplacing names, it's because it also gets confusing for me, even though I've taught the play a bunch of times. Um, you've got the fairies and Titania and Oberon and all of this feuding that's going on. And she really challenges that status quo. And, and so you've got, it's a lot of gender back and forth. It's also a lot of class back and forth because you've got Puck who is able to really yep. screw with stuff even though he's a little errand boy. Like, you know. <laughs> um and so it's a fun one and it's I'm really excited to teach it again this year. I didn't do it last year because of uh COVID and because things were just it was just too disjointed and it's too disjointed of a play for me to not be able to get a hold of my students. This year, I will actually be hybrid in the classroom concurrent with students online. By the time we get to this play, therefore I feel like I have a little bit more control and I can rein it in. Um, But then my colleagues will be teaching taming with the exact same essential question. What makes some stand up to injustice and use their voice while others remain silent
0: again, easy to pair with literally anything. (laughs) And it doesn't, I mean, here's the
1: thing too. It doesn't all have to be super dark. I mean, yes, injustice is dark in its own right. Right. But it can be a comedy. It can yes. be a darker comedy, right? Like, that's okay. That's okay. We, can, we can pull in some less traditional or, like, less obvious feeling texts. Like, two of Shakespeare's comedies can come into injustice and using your voice. And, uh, yeah. I think that's so fun. I've never I'm taught excited. Midsummer.
0: I've never taught Midsummer. I've Dude, always get it. excited
1: to hear all about it because I love it. I like glitter for some reason. Midsummer for me is synonymous with flowers and glitter. So let's get excited.
0: <laughs> I just never had the opportunity. I-, I love the play, but I've never got a chance to teach it. So I yeah. love it. I'm pretty pretty excited. Okay. Let's take it home. Last one. R and J. A little. Uh, Yes. I feel like every English teacher in their career has at some point been forced to or fortunate enough to, it depends on where you stand on that spectrum. We're hoping Uh, to turn everybody to the fortunate. What fortunate enough to please talk so that I don't have to. So <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. So, okay. So Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. I have mixed, I have mixed feelings about it, it is definitely not my top, my favorite play, but, um, there, there's a lot of reasons why I, I also teaching freshmen is not my favorite either. So maybe those, those two things are kind of, combined. you know, it's funny. <laughs> you know, it's so funny is that
1: I, I am not the best freshman teacher because I, I just, I'm yeah. not the best. I'm not very well suited to that age. Um, but I love teaching Romeo and Juliet to freshmen specifically.
0: Oh yeah. Well, but, well, totally. Right. Cause yes. like they're it's, it's for, so there's a couple of cool things, right? It's for most of them, a lot of them, it's their first exposure. Yes. So there's a lot of kind of, you're kind of breaking down their expectations of what they think it's going to be like. Totally. I can tell, I tell, I always tell my freshman when I taught this, that when I was assigned Romeo and Juliet as a freshman, I, w- I had to read it in, t- in a textbook. I had like yep. a 45 pound textbook for English. And one of the things I had to do was read Romeo and Juliet. And I was given page assignments every night. Now that's what we have too. And I, I always push for, hey guys, what if you just give them the little guy or better yet,
1: the full online edition?
0: Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And I remember struggling through that because at that point I I knew I wanted to be a teacher. And I remember thinking like, if I can't do this on my own, how will I ever be a teacher? Like I had that, like, so like, Oh, little baby Amanda, like, come on, you're okay. But, um, so as I think really, you know, one of the big solutions for when you have freshmen and you have Romeo and Juliet and it's the first time teaching it and there's all of this pressure. Um, and the kids are really, you know, nervous about this, this experience one more time. Like this is exactly why we have essential questions. Um, so the one that I used the thread that I was focused on was something related to love. Um, I did kind of want to highlight more of the um, the more relatable thread of the play. I feel like there are some other really interesting threads that are different directions. Like I think Mer- look really studying Mercutio, awesome. um, th- right? Like there are yeah. way more like interesting things about the play than what I teach. But I choose to go this direction because of my audience. Um, so I asked the kids: Is true love fantasy? or destiny. And so again, it's another spectrum that they've got to figure out. Like, do you really believe that we're destined to find one true love or is that a total fantasy? Is that like not? And, and yes, a lot of us are in the middle, but what I kind of have them do when you have a spectrum kind of question like that is to find their place on that spectrum. Yeah, Where, where are you closer to? And how do you write a claim statement that helps kind of clarify where you are on that spectrum? And we do some cool research into soulmates and we do um, a lot of psychological and relationship work uh, around that. And I ask the kids to talk about, you know, what are the qualities that you're looking for in a life partner, whoever that might be. And we even talk about friendship and, you know, the absence of friendships in this story is remarkable. And the kids always kind of get down to like, yeah, like I, I feel like the, the way that I understand my, the way I love people or I have crushes on people is by talking about it with my friends. Like we, you know, we have these you little process. social circles. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, and a lot of the mistakes that Romeo and Juliet make, I think is because they, they exist in isolation. They only have each other. And so we talk about the dangers of kind of what happens if you get into a relationship and shut other people out. And so we, we have, yeah, I say really she's good-
1: totally isolated, but like, he just ignores everybody. He's like the worst friend. He he's is that, like the worst he's rest. that guy that gets into a relationship and just ghosts everybody and then expects them to be there for him when it goes south.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> well, because <him>. <laughs> I think I think all of the kids can relate to that like gut impulse attraction to someone. Sure, sure. I think the they situation. Get absolutely. Yes. And and, like, and and we don't linger on that for too long because, well, neither does the play because all of a sudden things get real and right. we're like, we're steamrolling here toward a wedding toward all these other things. And so we do a lot of like, what if kinds of questions, but that's, that's really the core is um, is true love fantasy or destiny. Um, and then we have the kids debate it and try to find where they stand personally on that line uh, by the end of the unit. And it's been really good. But like I said, there are lots of other ways to address this play. Um, but I've found with freshmen that seems to be what they want to talk about the most it's well and it's it's a I mean like
1: you said you're 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 gauging towards your audience right it's it's a point of entry because the other things you can start talking about I mean I always kind of start we definitely use like the love romantic love as a point of entry and then we expand it to like familial Mm -hmm. um, because there's a parent child Yes. Relationship. There's also, um, I like to talk a lot about control and autonomy over their own lives because Friar Lawrence, talk about monsters. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of opinions on Friar Lawrence. Um, and I like to point out to my students that Romeo's like 18 and Juliet's like 12 or 13. Like, I need you guys to really feel this for a minute. And then I go, let's talk about autonomy and control over your own life. And they're like, oh, yep." (laughs) so we talk about that because they are freshmen smack dab in the middle there, right? Like they're, they're right in the middle of those two. And there are a lot of kids who are looking to upperclassmen being like, oh my gosh, I love this person, this person, they're so whatever. And like having crushes on the other older
0: people at their school. And I'm like, yes, but imagine that you're in seventh grade. Uh, well, okay, so Marie's point is exactly what I was trying to say, but didn't say it. And so I thought of it while she was saying it. Um, this play, whether you like it or not, I think is an amazing opportunity to make students the authority. absolutely on these like I'm gonna hand you Shakespeare, but you're the authority on this topic, and that gives kids a whole nother level of engagement, importance. yeah, and it's, it's like I've, I've been a teenager, but it was a minute ago. Oh, you're yeah. in this
1: now. Oh yeah. So, let's see what choices did they make? What choices might you make, right? Given a similar situation or something like that. Um, there are so many different ways to go around and around and around. Uh, the
0: the other reason i go I go that direction is a lot of the speeches that I want to analyze and do close reading because you guys know we do. We pretty much do watch close read watch, close, read, watch, close, right. read a lot of the speeches that we're going to close read are going to be some of these, um, courting speeches. Like there's the Holy Palmer's kiss. There's the balcony scene. Um, a lot of the, the things that are the most interesting to me to analyze you can do a
1: cool RA of the Holy Palmer's kiss. It's hard. That speech is
0: very difficult. Yes, for freshmen. But,
1: Like what if you like brought it back? Right and did rhetorical analysis with oh, like older yeah. kids since they've that would already be awesome. done it freshman year. Well, I think I might know what I'm doing this year. Noted, noted. <laughs> let me put <laughs> my pen on and like a rhetorical analysis of Romeo courting Juliet. There's a lot of hands,
0: a lot it, of hands in that because she's 12. Well, oh. and he's 18. Yeah, it is. It is upsetting, well, but it is, it is true love. In. It is true. It's love.
1: true. They're destined to die. That's destined to. Yeah. And then there's Paris. I mean, there's so much
0: there's just, oh my God. Well, and but, but right. And like you said that there's so much, and that is what helps us, you know, to really focus in for the kids because they can get, you know, that we said this earlier too, but Shakespeare's Shakespeare's so much is sometimes our students check out.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, all the things that I just did, like spazzing out like, oh, and this, and this, and this, I would pick one. Right. Because kids are kids are yeah. not
0: ready for that. They're no, not. And anything.
1: the thing is, they're not going to, quote unquote, miss out on anything. No. If you focus in on one thing, if you focus in on one thing, no. you're then giving them the tools yep. to access all the other things. It'll be richer. If, that, if you do all the things, you're giving them none of the tools.
0: <laughs> they're going to miss them. Yeah. Yep. So find your essential question. You know, this that's the, those are the plays we're going to talk about today. Uh, we encourage you guys to Find your essential question, you know, use that as your anchor for all of your decision making, for keeping the kids on track, for giving you permission to keep going. Even when kids feel like they're struggling, keep pushing, keep giving them more to wrestle with so that by the end they can deal with your essential question, whether or not they became experts in decoding Shakespearean language. That doesn't matter. It's okay. It was practice. It was exposure. You know, the complexity part of these pieces has to come through conversations, on the play as a whole. So you got to get to the end so they can talk about the play as a whole right. and the complexities there. The so entire arc get them there. of all five acts. Yep. Absolutely. Get them there and lean on us. If you need help, we'd love to see you guys over at the Shakespeare teacher festival, because this is exactly what we're going to focus on. You can play us, pause us, rewind us and uh, have some cool resources to work with as well. Absolutely. So head to the show notes right now, or go
1: to, Brave slash Shakespeare to register. And we will see you guys there. And we will see you next week for another episode of the Brave New Teaching podcast. You thanks guys, for sticking
0: with us today. It was a I lot but hopefully a was helpful one, but for you.
1: Hopefully it's helpful. Like we said, take them, use them, change them, make it awesome in your classroom. And we will see you guys next time.
0: Don't forget Bye. to leave us a review and let us know how this is all going in your classroom. And we'll see you all around. Bye.